You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? We are back. Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I am, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, December 6th. We are in to December 2021 for just a few more weeks, 2021, and then we'll head into 2022. Today's show will be all about, as promised, breaking down all of every single point that is being discussed and argued over and uh, in the new CBA. That will be today's entire show. We're going to break down every issue that the players union and MLB disagree on. Uh, there, there are a lot, so we're going to have to hit the ground running here. Not too much time for a, for a long intro because there is a ton, <laughs> a ton of issues. Uh, th- this could be a, a work stoppage for a very long time. Uh, this is the, I believe, the ninth work stoppage in the history of baseball. Um, and it is the first since the one that happened in the 90s. And then shortly thereafter was the great home run race of 1998. That is widely considered to have saved Major League Baseball. If you have any ability to watch the summer of 98 ESPN 30 for 30, I highly recommend watching it. Um, it is absolutely incredible. It, it, it focuses on, obviously, the, the home run race between McGuire and Sosa, but it really encapsulates and explains... Uh, did I say that word right? A, ca- a cap, whatever. Uh, it really does a great job explaining how important that home run race was to saving the game of Major League Baseball. Um, and I, I hope that this one, that this work stoppage, will get worked out before the season ends. But they disagree on so many issues, dog. So many. We could be in for a very, very long lockout. So welcome back. We're going to get into all of it. Thank you guys for making Locked on Tigers your first listen every day. Free and available on all platforms, as y'all know. Okay, let's get let's just get right into it because we, we don't have time to, to mess around here. We have a ton of issues to go over. So for those who don't know, Major League Baseball has stopped all working all at any capacity. All work has been stopped. Um... It's it sucks, uh, but here we are, and it is a lockout. So it is technically speaking on the owner's side. A walkout would be if the players' union was in the middle of a CBA agreement and decided they were not they were going to walk out and, and they were not going to play because they demanded better rights. Uh, as we've seen uh, across a lot of unions, especially for those Detroiters. Uh, we've, we've seen that several times in the uh, automotive industry over the last, whatever, half a century longer. Uh, so this is, this is a lockout. So tech, it, while neither side ag- ag- can agree on a deal, technically speaking, this is uh, on, on the owner's behalf of not agreeing to what the players have offered. So they will now go into negotiations for who knows how long and try and get some baseball 
to be played and for operations, that's the word I was trying to think of earlier, to resume. There are a plethora of issues that they disagree on. Um, The last report is for the last meeting before the current CBA expired, which was on December 2nd. Um, The last meeting, apparently, the head of the players' union just straight up walked out of the meeting, said there's no deal done, walking out. We are not even close to agreeing on so many different issues. I mean, it, it truly feels like they are light years apart. So let's get into some of the reasons why. Okay, we've been dancing around it for a while. Let's get right into it. The first issue that really comes to mind for me is service manipulation. That is that is one of the biggest hot button issues. I mean, all of these are honestly like massive barriers and are so far away on so many of them. But service manipulation is one of the first ones that comes to mind when I think about the things they disagree on. Um, service manipulation. So this is is pretty self-explanatory, but uh, in baseball, you can't become an unrestricted free agent until after your si- until you have completed six full seasons of major league service, right? And the most blatant service manipulation in the history of baseball is by far Chris Bryant. That is one of the, if, if you were a following baseball in that like 2015-ish, 2014-15 time period you definitely were aware of that situation uh it it even happened again then uh ownership and front front office comments were released about jared kelenic who plays for the seattle mariners and and some manipulation going on his part too uh so basically a team will call up a rookie at in like may Instead of having them make the opening day roster on their rookie season so that they can get an entire extra season of, uh, of eligibility, I guess you'd call it, of, of control would be the best way to put it, over that player. And it takes a whole extra season for them to become a unrestricted free agent because that first season technically doesn't count as a full season. They end their their quote-unquote sixth year with like 5.8 years of uh, service time and they find a way to get an entire extra year out of them. So that that's one of the biggest ones. The players' union wants to quote-unquote fix service manipulation and make it uh, go away. They, they want it to... to the, really, the, the only fixes for this one are... Either to completely change how uh, service time is tracked, which I, I don't think is going to happen. I don't think they're going to revamp the entire system. But I, I think the only other way to, to do this would be to change how long it takes or, or how much Major League service time is required in one season to count as a full year. That, that That's really the only way... I see that changing, and they're going to debate, and and the players are going to say, you know, if you play like two months in the majors, that that should count as a full season, and the owners are going to want to keep it the same, and then they'll probably agree on something in the middle. Um, but but it any any movement there is going to help, and any movement there is going to encourage teams to call up their players that deserve to be on the major league roster sooner. 
and anyone who's a baseball fan should be in favor of the players on on this issue in my eyes. I, I don't really see how any viewer of the sport of baseball could really side with the pl- with the owners on this one. This this is giving you better players earlier, right? Like if, if they were to say, um, if they were to say, you know, you you have to if you call anybody up before July, that would count as a, as a full first season. That fixes, quote unquote, and it, it doesn't fix it, but it, it makes it significantly better. And you're going to see a lot of teams that will actually have their best players and, and their top prospects on the opening day roster when they are ready and not keep them back and keep them back and then call them up in, in May or whatever. And uh, and uh, Major League Baseball has continually, continuously declined and declined and declined this uh, offer or this idea by the union, so it'll be really interesting to see what they come up with and what kind of neutral ground they can somewhat agree on. Uh, but I don't expect it to change dramatically, except for again the fact that maybe uh, a month or two will be will be added on to how much time a real full season is. That that's really the only way I can I can see a neutral ground being being put there, and and that really bleeds into the other issue which is uh salary arbitration that's directly affected by whatever they come up for with service time as well uh arbitration is is another very big issue in this disagreement um arbitration is for again for for people who who might not be familiar with the way baseball contracts are set up salary arbitration in a player's third through sixth year of major league service, right? So you, you, the team has control of you for the first six. And from years three to six, you have the ability to, uh, to basically go to court. Uh, I mean, straight up go in front of a, uh, you know, have a ruling be made about how much money you are going to earn this upcoming season. And a lot of teams will try and avoid going to arbitration by, giving someone a one-year contract. We did it every year with Matt Boyd. Uh, You give somebody a one-year contract that's in the middle of what the player is asking for and what the team values you as and says, hey, let's just avoid going to court. We'll make this better for both sides. We'll we'll give you a number right in the middle. And so so that's a common practice. But arbitration is a a very, very big issue. And the, the players want... A, they, they want the maximum amount of money that you can make in arbitration to be higher, uh, but they also want arbitration to start earlier. Ideally, they want it to start as, I mean, honestly, the players want it to start as early as possible, right? As, as early as, as they can get away with, they want it to start because the baseline salary Bef- the pre-arbitration salaries are are less than a million dollars, like pretty pretty comfortably at that. Like Chris Bryant was uh, considered to be one of the highest pre-arbitration deals ever when he was making like a million dollars a year. So, in the grand scheme of how baseball players are play are paid, that is significantly lower than. Uh, the the average. I mean, we we see what the qualifying offer is every year, right? It's it's like eighteen and a half million dollars. So, uh, 
And that's a that's an average contract to the top played paid players. So they they want that. To, I would imagine if if there is any movement on that, the owners would only give up one year, which means that players could then start going to arbitration after their second MLB season instead of after their third. Uh, however, this is one of the issues that I feel like the players, if if they win service time. And they and they gives and they get service manipulation. I feel like they might just have to kick the can on arbitration and just count their wins and move on. Because again, this is more than just two issues. Like we are too into a a plethora of disagreements between these two sides, and neither side is going to get completely what they want. Uh, and and MLB owners are <laughs> just the the they're a little greedy. Okay, so. Uh, I'm not. I, I I hope that the players win all of these, and that's. And I know there are there are some people that side with pl- with players, and some that side with owners in situations. I am incredibly pro player. We can get that out of the way in this first segment here. So you're not going to see me siding with the owners too terribly much. But I this this just might have to be one of the issues that again this this might have to be low on the totem pole. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much more leeway MLB is going to give them in this sense. So we're going to get into all the other issues. There is still a, a whole, I have a whole bullet pointed thing on, on a Google Docs sheet in front of me of issues I want to talk about. And we'll get into all of them after I talk to you all about DirecTV streams. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. You've got your neighbor's best friends log in. For the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream. Brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, shows all in one place. It means no more juggling remotes. No need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contracts. So get rid of the clutter, get rid of the confusion, and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. It's DirecTV. Dot com compatible device required content varies based on package all right everybody we are back here for another segment segment two of locked on tigers thanks for making locked on tigers your first listen every day we're talking about the cba and all the disagreements within it uh the next one we're again we i i really like to talk so I, I got to try and limit myself to each issue because I could truly talk about each one of these for half an hour. If I, if I, I could do a whole show just on service manipulation <laughs> and the ins and outs of that and go on to each one of these bullet points. But I really want to try and highlight everything in one show so you have a, a place you can go to for, for every issue that's being discussed. So we've gotten through two. The next one I want to go over is free agency as a whole. There are so many issues within the concept of free agency that they disagree on. And the first one being, I want to go over this one first because it kind of directly ties into service manipulation and service time, uh, is how long it takes you to be eligible for free agency. And MLB has consistently said that anything less than six years is pretty much non-negotiable. They, I, I, I mean, literally not even a starting point. You, you can say the, the current rule technically is either six years of service or five years, and you hit 30 years old, I believe, if you're, if you're 30 
on your fifth year, I believe you can too. It's it's something around there, five and twenty nine or five and thirty. I think it's thirty. Um, so like your your next season would be your age thirty season. Uh, so there's a there, MLB has has consistently pushed back on that idea and the concept of not uh, uh, allowing players to reach free agency earlier. Uh, so that is a a, a big one, a, a really big issue that both sides are very, very stubborn on. The, the union wants players to be able to go to free agency sooner because that's where they make their money. And the MLB does not want anybody to get to free, wants free agency to be as long as possible so that they can save money and pay people less. Again, I lean with the players on this. I'm all for players getting paid. All these owners are billionaires, multi-billionaires. I promise they can afford it. All right, so that's another issue. And that also bleeds into the salary cap, I guess you'd call it. However, uh, there, there's a, it, it's more of a salary floor. Okay, so the players want to institute a salary floor. And this would basically mean that all teams are required to spend a certain amount of money. We've seen a couple of other sports uh, induce a salary floor that would, again, force teams to pay, uh, have a total roster salary of a certain amount of money. So the initial offer, the, the players have brought this up before, and the initial offer by the league, the MLB, said we will give you an $100 million salary floor. However, the luxury tax is then going to be $180 million. The players immediately rejected it and basically said, why, why would there even be a need for a, a luxury tax period when there's a salary floor? Nonetheless, one that low. And just for context... The MLB's luxury tax the last three seasons has been 210, 214, and was now 220 right before the lockout started. Okay, so you they <laughs> the owners said, okay, we'll give you the the floor of 100 million, which is is really not that low of a number. I, I, I mean, uh, 100 million is is more than quite a few teams if you're looking at at total salary in uh in in baseball over the last specifically last year but really over the last well 2020 was kind of weird because it was all uh you know not 100 percent given out but 100 million dollars is not that low of a number I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised at the initial report of that but then it was followed up by a a pretty insanely low uh, luxury tax and a luxury tax threshold of is not a hard salary cap, right? Like in other sports, there is a salary cap. This is the most that a team is allowed to to pay their players. Period. With with a few exceptions, but very few, right? The luxury tax is any team can pay more than whatever the luxury tax is, but they are then taxed, I, I don't know the exact figure, but they are ta- taxed X amount of, of percent more to every dollar that they pay over the luxury tax. So it's, it's just incentive for teams to not spend more money, which again, does not benefit the players as they want 
owners to spend as much money as possible because they want the players to get paid as much as possible, right? So uh, if if you get rid of the ridiculously low luxury tax ceiling that they that they implemented and in, in, in that offer, a hundred mil, I I'm pretty fine with. I'm pretty fine with when a with a hundred million dollar floor that would force teams to be uh, to go out and actually spend money, be either A, more competitive, or B, would want them to lock up younger players for longer terms indirectly, right? Because uh, they they would then want to to get ahead of the curve and say, okay, well, we have to pay somebody to reach this, this salary floor, so we might as well just pay one of our top prospects who, who just had a great rookie year or even somebody who hasn't made the MLB yet uh, that, that's going to be in the MLB next season and just uh, pay them a, a, a big contract in order to – we can avoid the arbitration process, just give them a big contract for five or six years and, and raise that. So that, the, the floor I love. I love the idea of a floor. I love the idea of, of making front offices spend more money and, and it, would, it would make it, A, like I said, more competitive – uh, but but also it would it would be an incentive to pay players more, which I am pro doing, um, but not with that low of a of a luxury tax number. One eighty is 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 far too low. Again, from the player's perspective, and and I I'm very open. I'm I'm not going to hide my bias. I am very openly pro player in these. So I I'm trying to give you both sides, uh, even though again being very open about where I stand on them. I'm trying to give both sides of it too. So, in my eyes, you you make the luxury tax just honestly just keep it what it's been at, and you keep that floor at the same. You have a uh, a a deal that I think the players would be a lot more comfortable accepting. Okay, so those are some of the uh, the the things that are being debated. There is still plenty more. And we will get to those in our final segment. But first, I got to talk to you guys about Built Bar because it's the holiday season. So, this holiday season, grab a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or is even better than a candy bar. That's Built Bar. Filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with great flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat. It's also high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. There's so many flavors. We have a hard time choosing. We have the raspberry, the mint brownie, the cherry, the double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie, so many fantastic flavors. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the holiday shoppers. Or if you're just standing in endless shopping lines, Built Bar can give you that extra something to keep you going. So throw one in your jacket, your purse, you never know when you're going to need it. Because it's the season of peace and love, do not bring up your favorite Built Bar flavor at family parties because people are passionate about their favorite flavor. They'll fight over it, and things could get out of hand. You a friend with Santa? Well, tell Santa to throw in a few Built Bars in those stockings this holiday season. With so many flavor- flavors, they'd make anyone's Christmas a happy one. Want to cozy up to something warm? Here's a holiday secret. Dip your, dip your Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa. Let it melt a little bit. Give your beverage a little bit of that Bilt Bar flavor, plus you'll have a nice melty Bilt Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple of napkins on hand, though. 
Like some of those marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on Built Bar Puffs. They're light, fluffy, marshmallowy through and through, different flavors, and they're all covered in chocolate. They taste so good, you won't believe that they're filled with protein. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, you can get 15% off your order this holiday season. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, everybody, we are back here for our third and final segment of Locked on Tigers. We're going over everything that is being discussed in the CBA. Okay, so we've talked about arbitration. We've talked about free agency. We've talked about the salary cap slash floor. We've talked about service time manipulation. There's a couple of things left. Okay, one of the things that I I find fascinating is a draft lottery. Now, the league actually offered a draft lottery for the thir- first three picks in the draft. So that, you, that, that was their solution to offer the players in, in offering, hey, like competitive integrity, right? We're not just going to have everybody tank. Uh, the, the first three picks are going to be a lotto. So if you're the worst team in baseball, you're not guaranteed the number one pick, right? Just like basketball, hockey. We've seen it. We've seen it in, in other sports for a long time, honestly. Now the union, then right. So from the players' perspective, they would want more teams in the lottery, right? Which makes sense if if they want to try and quote unquote fix competitive integrity. You're gonna want more teams in the lottery because then that that would eat, lower the incentive to tanking even more. Right, the bottom three teams in a lotto, the you know what, you can still tank and you're guaranteed a bottom three pick or a top three pick, I should say, a bottom three record. The union wanted an eight team lottery because they wanted to lower the the incentive to tank as much as possible. So that's one thing that that's kind of been going back and forth between the two. Uh, I, I would imagine that a lottery's coming again because the league did offer, they did kind of crack on that one, and they did offer a three-team lottery. I don't think it'll be three, and I don't think it'll be eight. I think most of these you'll find are, are going to end up being somewhat in the middle, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if we had a five-team. That's it's a nice round number. It's right in the middle of both of those. I, it, it would not surprise me if we saw something along the lines of a five-team lottery. For the uh, for the bottom five teams in baseball coming out of it, so that's one that at, at least when you look at all of these, that is one that they are a lot closer on than a lot of these other issues. They seem to be miles apart on service manipulation. They seem to be very far apart on on the salary cap and the salary floor. They seem to be very far apart on the arbitration thing. They seem to be really far apart on a lot of things. This is one that I think they they could find some common ground, something that, hey, look, the if you're a bottom five team, you're still guaranteed a top five pick in the draft. But but maybe if you're you know, if you if you're in that five spot, you know, you're like, oh, you know, we're we're not the worst team in baseball, but but we're not going to make the playoffs either. Maybe that gives you a little bit more incentive to, to kind of start building up and, and not sell or dwell for another year and try to get a top pick. I, I think that that could be one that, uh, they, that, that they might actually kind of overcome their differences and come to an agreement on fairly quickly. 
Another one is expanded postseason. Now, this one's really interesting. The So the owners proposed a 14-team playoff. And the players counted with a 12-team playoff. However, in theory, that doesn't sound too far apart, right? The, it's, it's in the best interest of, of kind of both sides to expand the postseason. I think that one's inevitable. It, it incentivizes uh, teams that are in the past might have gone into a rebuild or tank to try and buy and make a playoff team. And it all and just more players in the postseason, always a good thing. Uh, and also for the owners, everybody knows that that playoff games make way more money than regular season games. So I think that's one that both. Uh, basically, I think an expanded postseason is inevitable. I think that that is that is the closest thing to a guarantee I can give you. Uh, there's actually one thing that that is is also pretty much a guarantee. We'll get into at the end that they actually agree on. Um, and we'll end with the one thing that they agree on <laughs> at the end of the show. But the it, it seems that an expanded postseason is inevitable. It's just a matter of how much. The the union's plan, while while it was only two teams shorter, they wanted to completely realign. Uh, com- that might be a little dramatic. They wanted to realign how e- the American League and National League are set up. So they 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 offered a twelve team plan. Uh, but it would also realign the leagues to have an eight-team and a seven-team division instead of the normal format of three divisions of five teams that we have known for so long now. So they want two divisions, one with eight teams, one with seven teams in, in each league, and a 12-team postseason. I don't think they're going to get the realignment. I, I don't see the the realignment. I, I think it is very much in... MLB, the, the ownership's interest to, to keep that format as is because you have rivalries and, and increased you know prices within those. And I, I don't see the MLB being okay with uh, realigning the divisions. But the expanded postseason, they're not too far apart on. And I, I think that that is pretty much inevitable because both sides would benefit from an expanded postseason. So if you're a big anti-expanded postseason uh, fan, I, I I regret to inform you that I think that that is almost a guarantee. Now, whether it's 14 teams or, or 12 teams, we're already at 10. So if you think about it, a, a 12 would not be too much more. You know, I, I, I don't want to... If, if you're a big anti-expanded postseason type of fan, I... <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I, I don't want to ruin this too much for you, but I, I'm pretty sure that that's going to happen. So, so that's that one. The last one I want to cover is revenue sharing, and revenue sharing is a a wildly controversial topic, and has a tendency to uh, to actually get pretty political pretty quickly. So we're going to keep politics as out of this as we can. But essentially, revenue sharing in baseball is every single team, all 30 teams, have to pay a certain percentage of their, uh, whether it's TV deals, um, merchandise sales, etc., to a big pool, basically. And then that is redistributed to all teams, which which sounds, I know, I know weird, but... 
But uh, so, so it, it basically is a way for, uh, to, to again, try and even the playing field for quote-unquote smaller market teams to continue to be competitive with the bigger market teams because if there was no uh, revenue sharing, then the belief would be that the big market teams could spend a lot more money than the smaller market teams. And this is a way to, to kind of tax the very rich teams and redistribute that money evenly across all 30 teams. But obviously the big market teams are giving a, a lot more money because if, if the percentage that you're giving is all the same, the Yankees are obviously making much more off TV and merchandise than, say, the Oakland Athletics or the Tampa Bay Rays, right? So the, the big market teams give a lot more money to the pool and get uh, 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 the same amount back, right? Everybody gets the same amount. The Yankees get the same amount. The A's get the same amount, whatever, from the pool, extracted from the pool. But the amount they give is far different. So it's, it's an attempt to make the smaller market teams more competitive. Now, the players want the amount that is shared to go down a boatload because in their minds they want the big market teams to have money and to spend more money because that means their players get paid more you're looking at teams like the the oakland athletics and the tampa bay rays clearly the revenue sharing has not altered their free agency spending very much if at all right so in the in the player's mind you might as well let the the Yankees spend all the money they truly make so that the players can get paid more money and aren't afraid to uh, to hand out bigger contracts. So the it's believed that the union's offer was about an 100 million dollar reduction from said pool of revenue sh- sharing uh, and this is a huge issue with MLB because it's a huge issue with all the small market teams. Not a single quote-unquote small market owner is going to approve of this. Uh, they want that extra money because they're giving a lot less and getting percentage-wise right, a lot more money. So there's no way that the small market teams are going to want to budge on that. Uh, the huge market teams probably are kind of cool with it, uh, but... You, you, you're going to need all the owners to agree, and there's no way that the small market owners are going to agree to that. So that's a huge issue. Like that, That's believed to be one of the, if not the sole furthest one that they are a part on. Revenue sharing for those who are around in 1994 was kind of the, the there were a lot of issues that there was a strike in 94, but that was one of the biggest. That was maybe the biggest reason for the strike in 94. And now at, at another crossroads and another, this one a lockout, whereas 94 was a, was a union walkout. Um, this one, is, again, seems to be one of the furthest ones, if not the one single issue that they are furthest away on. Okay, now the one thing that they agree on, and they, we're going to end on a happy note. And I know this is a long episode, I'm sorry, but I like to talk and they disagree on a ton of stuff. Uh, the, the one thing, and this is a pretty small thing, so I'm not, I'm not trying to get your hopes up too much, but the one thing that they seem to agree on is 
this idea that for players that are pre-arbitration, right, to kind of have an incentive pool where, okay, we acknowledge that you are not going to pay players that much money in their in their pre-arbitration years, right? But maybe we can have this pool where if you are in your your first three years in the league and you are already making, you know, an all-star game or already winning an MVP or already winning a Cy Young or getting votes for a Cy Young or getting votes for it or winning a silver slugger or winning a gold glove, you can get a bonus from that pool. And that seems to be something that the players are very much advocating for because they you're like look if you if you're gonna pay us uh the the league minimum salary is 570k right which again in in normal people terms the fact that i'm like scoffing at that is preposterous right that that's quite a lot of money a year um but in the terms again in the terms of how much baseball players are paid that is really nothing so if if they're gonna acknowledge and accept that you know, in your pre-arbitration years, you're not going to get paid that much money. You're going to have this kind of bonus pool, where in, in your first three years in the league, if you're if you're getting those you know bonuses we see on all contracts, you know, Miggy still has them even at the end of his deal. If he were to win the MVP, he'd get an extra million dollars or whatever. So that that seems to be one that both sides actually agree would benefit everybody. The owners will continue to basically not have, in relative to their net worth and how much money they have, essentially not pay people in their first three years in the league. But the players would would accept that fact. But if you're a really good player in your first three years, you get some incentives. That is like such a minuscule thing to agree on and like really is not (laughs) one of the big issues at all. But at least they agree on something. So that's what we're going to end on. Okay, this is a really long show, so i got to wrap it up. Thank you guys for rocking with me. Thank you for listening. I hope this helped. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to force my uh, where I side with them down your throats too terribly much, uh, but I did also want to be open about where I stand because that's what I get paid to do. So I hope that I, I provided both sides of the coin pretty well and what both sides want, and hopefully that uh, that gives you the ability to, to kind of point and figure out what you choose for each of these issues and where you stand for each of them. But that is all of the big-ticket things that are disagreed upon in the current lockout. Hopefully it's over soon. I don't see an end. There's no way this thing's over before 2022. I would go as far to say there is no way this thing's over before February 1st. At the earliest, I think we're looking at mid-February, and that is, like I said, that is the earliest. So now we just sit around and, and wait. I think we're probably going to go back to pro- player profiles for the rest of this week. So thank you guys for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day. Net tomorrow's episode, maybe a player profile. I got some fun stuff in the works, some interesting uh, ideas for for content while we're in a lockout and there's no content to be had. So stick with. I'll probably tweet some stuff out, some ideas out. If you have any ideas of stuff you want to listen to, please DM me. I, like I'm not kidding, and there is no such thing as a bad idea. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to use it, but I, I am I am going to be strapped for content over the next two to three months. 
uh, in the middle of a lockout. So seriously, there is no such thing as a bad idea. Um, I, I will take any and, and all ideas for that, and, and I will give you credit on the show out loud uh, <laughs> if, if I end up using it. So thank you guys for making me your first listen every day. Make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Free and available on all platforms, just like this one. This is a long-ass episode. It needed to be because we needed to air out all the dirty laundry. But thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, thank you to everybody who's tweeting at me that I was on their uh, on their Spotify rap thing. That was awesome to see. Love you guys to death. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. Going to therapy's dope, man. Take, take care of your mentals, for real. A lot of lot of crazy stuff happening. A uh, lot of lot of lot of stuff going on in the world in the last uh, couple of weeks. So if if you if you think you need help, seek help seriously. If you if any listener has any questions ever about therapy or or, or getting help or anything along those lines, I my my DMs are open for a reason. Um, that, that is one of the reasons that is one of the biggest reasons I've had several people reach out and and ask questions about getting started with it. I've had a couple of people say that, um, hearing me be such a big advocate for it was one of the reasons they started it. And that's, that is, that's like the best compliment I, I can possibly receive. There is no baseball take anyone can give me that will ever match, um, the, the compliment of, of, encouraging someone to get help they need so please if if you have any questions about it my dms are open if you don't have any questions about it and you just think maybe it's time to get started i've been going for three years now it's changed my life i i I get emo i get emotional about it it's it is a, a huge thing so take care of your mentals be safe everybody peace and love and we'll catch you all tomorrow go tigers baby